0: Next to you, your and to me, there's nothing more important. Not gonna be all sunshine and roses, but I can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride Welcome back everyone to Meet Us at Molly's. This is episode 35. Wow. Every time we keep going up a number, like it just I don't know, it seems so real. Like it's weird to think we've done like 35 episodes. It's crazy. It but is crazy. anyway, um, I'm one of your hosts tonight. My name is Bryna and with me as always is Gina. Hello. And if you don't watch Med, so you didn't listen to episode 34, Ashley has been sick and so she is not recording with us tonight but we miss her and hopefully we will all be back together for talking about this week's Chicago Fire.
1: Fingers crossed man, we're having a rough week over here.
0: I know we're having a rough month. We're having a rough year technically because we're only only been a month. month. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so we don't have that much news. I mean, as always, we start with the news. We don't have that much news. Um, but Gina, you want to talk about the episode description we got? Yeah. So uh,
1: you know, as you know, Chicago PD on January twenty fourth is a rerun. Sad face. I still don't understand why, but whatever. Yeah, it makes no sense that they're going off for a week and then coming back and then going off again. Right, like just air
0: this episode next week and then go off, but whatever. Whatever.
1: So we got an episode description for the episode airing on January 31st. So that'll be what, 513? Yeah. Okay. So this episode is entitled Chasing Monsters and some of the notable things in this description. So when a gang from El Salvador infiltrate Chicago, intelligence works with a visiting detective to put an end to the crew's brutal tactics. It goes on to say that Antonio gets kind of close to, I think, somebody in the gang. But the uh, the most Shocking part of this is the the, the, one of the last sentences towards the end. It says, meanwhile, Voight learns that the body of
0: his son's killer has been found. How the fuck is this the B storyline? Yeah, what? Like, we've only been wanting to know what happened for a year and a half.
1: So does that mean Lindsay chose a subpar hiding place? (laughs) I don't
0: know. I'm curious to see what happens.
1: Because we know that Voight was involved because oh yeah hell uh, yeah well because of the social club we got closure on that I think in uh oh yeah
0: right I forgot about the social
1: club. I can't remember the episode but Carmine the creepy old guy he gave us closure on that he was like what you owe us for Justin yeah what yeah do I don't
0: know I'm curious to see why this why now like I don't know
1: why are we bringing this back up because I still have a million questions that are unresolved and they're all the same questions I had the last time we talked about this Right, and uh, that we've had for the last year and a half. For real. Has it really been a year and a half?
0: That was the end of season three, beginning of season four, when Justin was killed. Holy shit.
1: Yep. That's so crazy. Yep. So crazy.
0: But anyway, that's all the news we had. Um, But like we always say, as always, if you have any news, see any news, just anything, send it to us, email it to us, tweet it to us. We're only three people, we can only do so much. Um, so this week we're talking about Chicago PD five twelve titled Captive. Um, there's a lot to talk about. And there's really only just an A storyline. So we're just gonna go through the episode chronologically. Um But yeah, there's there's a lot to talk about. Um, so the episode begins with everyone getting ready to go to Molly's for Platt's birthday. My favorite, one of my favorite lines, just like funny lines of the whole episode was when Ruzik's coming down the story, stairs and he sees um, Platt and Bird just talking. And he's like, ladies, it's Friday night. Let's go to Molly's and make some bad decisions. It's like <laughs> hashtag life motto. Um, yes, please. My first thought literally before this happened was where's Mouch? Apparently Mouch is sick, so he's not coming because of course he's not. Um, they don't want to crossover, so of course it's not happening. <laughs> but, um, anyway, Kev says that he's going to meet everyone there. He's going to run to Bucktown first. Um, Can I point something out here? Right yes. before they leave,
1: Ruzik turns to Kevin, or one of them turns to the other and is like, meet you at Molly's? I'm like, no, it's us. Meet us at Molly's. Like, <laughs> come on, work it in just once.
0: Like, great. Right.
1: Just in one word Damn off it. so many times. Like, yeah.
0: Just but fun. anyway, so Kevin says he's going to meet everyone there. He's going to run to Bucktown first. Um, and then um, Burgess says to Platt, she's like, I heard Otis convince Herman to put in a karaoke machine in at Molly's. And Platt's like, bad idea. That attracts the wrong crowd of, kind of crowd. Meanwhile, the next scene immediately switches over to Molly's where Platt is singing in car wash and everyone is having the time of their lives. Um, where was our invite? Right? This was amazing. Right. Um, And this better be what the party at Lottie's at at a Chicago Heroes event looks like, because if not, I'm going to be tragically upset. You should just start that, Bryna. Like,
1: (laughs) we just got to get there and, like, put some drinks in you, and then I'll just be like, Bryna, go. Just go. Stand (laughs) on the stage and go. (laughs) Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, Like I I said, Chicago's going to be like, what? Oh, no. I haven't done karaoke in so long
1: trying to think if i have a go-to there's a but. ludicrous song i know all the words to, but it's not very appropriate
0: <laughs> uh, i don't know i was jamming out while i was doing some work today i was jamming out so mama Is lay all your love on me like i don't know why but that was like getting me going today i was singing all the words so that's a good one dude i could throw <laughs> down to some hamilton yeah. yeah, there's like, a lot get, of options.
1: Like, get me in the car, and, like, all of a sudden, I'm, like, expert amazing rapper.
0: Yeah. In my opinion.
1: But, you know. Um,
0: but, yeah, and then we got a DM for Perry, and she was like, we need ma- more karaoke scenes, am I right? Uh, Hell yes. Yes. There's not enough. Um, but Kevin still hasn't shown up, so Ruzik keeps calling him, and he doesn't answer. Um, but the next scene, we do get to see Kevin arrives at this, like, unknown house and just kind of sees that it's trashed. And then all of a sudden, someone comes behind him, puts a gun to his head, and, and tells him that it's time to pay for his sins. Oh, boy. And then fade to black.
1: Dude, I thought this was his house for a moment there. So when he walked in, I was like, okay, who are you saying hello to? Because you live alone now. And then right. I was like, the place is trash, so maybe don't go in.
0: Right. It. Yeah, I was very confused at first, and I was. it also didn't help that I was on the phone for, like, while the first part was going on. So when I went back and watched it today and I could actually, like, pay attention, I was like, oh, that makes so much more sense. <laughs> but then I, like, it, I, it yeah. The first part of this episode with all the different things, like, when they, you know, I mean, we're getting ready to talk about it, like, literally one second. But when they, like, show up to the house and they're trying to figure out everything, like, what happened, it's so confusing. Yeah. But anyway, so, like I said, it fades to black after Kevin, someone tells Kevin that it's time for him to pay for his sins. So, the next morning, Ruzik a- arrives late to this training thing that they're supposed to be doing. And he tells the team, he's like, I still haven't heard anything from Kev. Like, I went to his house. Although, my first reaction was, how does Ruzik get into Kev's house? Like, does Ruzik have a key?
1: Oh, he totally has a key. You know he I love has it.
0: a key. I love it. Um but anyway, so Ruzik went to Kevin's house. Um, apparently, the bed was made, the mail was untouched, but his car isn't there. So then, every Voight immediately goes into like, okay, Platt, this is what you're gonna do. Ruzik, this is what you're gonna do. Like, he just goes in immediate, like, gotta find Kevin mode. Um, so, Platt's job was to ping Kevin's phone, and she ends up pinging his phone to a location in Rosewood, which, according to Burgess, is nowhere near Bucktown. So the team immediately goes and investigates it. Um, turns out they, the address of the house they had, they did research and it, ter- it belongs to a Joe Baker. So they go in, they sweep the house, no one's there, but they do find Kevin's badge and his ID next to some blood. And Ruzik makes, you know, a thing and they're like, why is this here? Like, why doesn't he still have it? And Ruzik makes a comment. He's like, um. You know, the first thing they tell you in the academy, offender gets a gun on you, dump your ID, you never tell them you're a cop. And if anyone follows Randy Flagler from Fire <laughs> on Twitter, he made a really funny tweet about this whole scene. Um Gina, it's in it it says something about like the sad car, right? Like that's Yeah, yeah. What, so
1: Randy tweets out, not, again, he plays Cap on fire. Um, he's like, yeah, I do the same thing. I very often will drop my sad card so people don't know I'm an actor. <laughs> God,
0: he's so great. So he's funny. so great. Um, His then, Gabby so, tweet last week. A-plus. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so then Voight arrives on the scene. And so, uh, like, he gets updates from everyone. So Upton updates him and says that Kev apparently received medges- messages from a woman named Michelle... And so then Voight's like, okay, you go track her down. And then Antonio's like, oh, hey, I found coke in the garage. And then Voight's like, okay, you start, like, running it for fingerprints, like, blah, 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 blah. And then Voight's like, everybody, come here. And then um, he's like, okay, we're going to keep this in-house for now. He says, you know, this leaks, and they find out Kevin's a cop, and he's a dead man. Um, So Burgess and Antonio, who I just now realized doesn't have a good... Partner name, like partner ship name. No, they're Birge Tonio. Oh, true. No one just ever really calls them Birge Tonio. That's true. Anyway, tonio goes to see Calvin Hill, who was the last person that had contact with Joe Baker before he disappeared. And so Calvin says the only thing that he knows is that Joe left the bar that where they had met at Um, with a woman named Sonia the night they hung out, and he's never seen Kev, so he's not really that much help. But Antonio's like, okay, he's like, you're good, just don't leave the state. And so back at the 21st, Platt confirms through testing that the blood was Kevin's.
1: Yo, that Um, line, like, hurt when she said that. She was, like, testing confirmed that the blood is outwater. So I was
0: like, oh, poor thing. Like, Yeah, this is not good. Not a good start. Not a good start. Um... And so Upton says, hey, like, I found this social media video of Joe Baker. And so she pulls it up and it's Joe Baker being beat up in some unknown location and Kevin is chained up. Literally chained up. Like, that is not a joke. Chained up in the background. And so I don't remember who it was but someone says, you know, there's likely two offenders because one's got to be doing the filming and the other's going to be doing the beating. They also notice that One of the offenders has a Mexican Mexican flag tattoo on one of his hands. And then they also notice that there's stained glass windows in the background. So um, they're probably like, oh, he's probably in like a church or something. Um, And so then someone, like good news, he's alive. And they're like, yeah, he's going to stay that way. So Floyd's like pretty confident, like we're going to keep him alive.
1: Can I just point something out? So, I think it's Upton who points out the Mexican flag tattoo, and she says something. She's like, "Yeah, it's gangster style," and I'm like, "Gangster style? This sounds like something for me to Google." Um,
0: Oh God, did you Google it?
1: I did. I didn't find anything though, only because I googled it like just now. Um, (laughs) So I'm thinking by gangster style, she just meant that it's like a gang insignia. Maybe um there is an article in this google search that says 50 gangster tattoos for men mobster design ideas <coughs> i'm gonna take a look see if maybe i can get an idea for my next tattoo oh god i'm just kidding i'm just kidding some of these are crazy though wow this guy has like a total mob scene tattooed across his chest that's gonna hurt oh god i know goodness
0: oh, god. anyway so then <laughs> we get our first scene at I mean, we find out as a church. But the first scene at the church with Kevin and Joe Baker. So they're sitting there. They're both chained up. They're sitting across from each other. And Kevin confronts Joe about the drugs. And, you know, Joe says, he's like, I don't have it. Like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. Like, I've been clean since I made parole. And then Joe says, drops a line. He says, you know, Kevin's the one who actually needs to be owning up to the truth. And then this is the line that, like, killed me the first time. Joe says, he's like, I feel like I'm in hell being chained up with the bastard who murdered my son. And I really thought for a moment, guys, that this was going to be a throwback to that Justice episode when they tried Kev for murder. Yeah, clearly still not over that.
1: Oh, I'll be bitter about that forever.
0: Forever and ever and ever and ever.
1: It's just not the way to get us to like a new cast. Like... Nope. Here are these new people. Watch as they try somebody you love for murder.
0: Yep. But yeah, I really thought it was going to be a throwback to that. Um, And so we got an email from Allison, and she had some great points. So one, she makes this point. She says, you know, Joe and Kevin were chained to the church floor. She said, how did they do this talking about the offender? She said, did the gangster set this up in advance? Have they used this space to kill people previously? I mean, when people are held in a basement, they're chained to a pipe or a beam or a chair. But this was metal cemented to the floor.
1: I didn't think about
0: that. Yeah. yeah. So someone's doing, she's been doing a lot of theorizing too. Which is true. Yeah, it's a, good no, point. it's a totally
1: good point because, yeah, it, is, it literally is metal cemented to the floor and it's not like. in like
0: in the middle of the floor, too, not even like close to a wall, like literally in the middle of the floor.
1: Right, because it's pretty clear this place is like an abandoned church. But it's, yeah, it's not where like an outlet or something would be. It's not where, yeah, it's literally chained in the middle of the floor. I would imagine that they're using it as like a hiding place or something. Yeah, that's my but, guess, but. Then why would you post a video
0: to social media? Why are criminals so stupid? Right. I don't know. Who knows? But, anyway, so back at the 21st, Burgess is talking to Boy, and she tells him that she found a possible link between Kev and Joe, this kid named Ronnie Cartwright. So, apparently five years ago, Ronnie robbed a store, killed the clerk, and then when Ronnie was on the run, Kev cornered him, and as Kim says, Ronnie pulls a gun, goodbye Ronnie. Um, but... She was apparently around, like, they were, Burgess and Kev were still partners, but she wasn't, like, right there when it happened, but she was around, but she tells Voight that in the end, it was ruled a good shot, so it was fine, and then Voight asks the question we're all wondering, and he's like, what does this have to do with Joe Baker, and Burgess is just like, everything, but then Ruzik interrupts, fucking Ruzik, Um, and says that Michelle's here, Um, And it turns out that Michelle is Joe Baker's sister. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. My only thing about this, real quick, before we move on, is, so five years ago, Kevin and Burgess were partners. This still messes up all our story, all our timelines for how old everybody is. You think? I don't know, because Burgess was a flight attendant before she became a cop. This yes. doesn't go with my whole Adam theory that I think Adam is much younger, but I don't know.
1: We have a birth date for Burgess. Because when she was...
0: We do? Like a yeah, year? Yeah.
1: The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The episode when Nicole was raped, she posted something from when Burgess was in the hospital and there was a date of birth on it. And so... Oh, shit. Yeah, and so I'm going to see if I can find it real fast. I got to scroll past all the pictures of Marina's adorable baby. Um... But I think it was, if I remember correctly, it was, like, a birth date in, like, 1988. So that means Burgess is set to turn 30 this year. So five yes. years ago, she would have been 25. We don't know how old Kevin is, but LaRoyce was born in 88, so I think it's safe to assume that they're around the same age.
0: Right. Maybe give or take a year. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. The funniest
1: thing to me was when we were supposed to believe that Roman was a year younger than her. Meanwhile, Brian Garrity is like in his 40s.
0: Yeah. Didn't work. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Um, so Voight and Burgess are talking to Michelle, and she's like, I don't know what's going on. And Voight's like, bullshit. Of course you do. So Michelle explains. She's like, I called Kev because I was worried about my missing brother. When Kim asked, like, why she would call Kevin help after he's the one that killed her nephew or well yeah actually he killed her nephew not on purpose but he did um she says like she doesn't blame kevin for what went down um and michelle says she's like kevin always said if i needed something to call so i did so boyt ends up shocking her when he turns out or he reveals that they found a half a kilo of coke in joe's garage um and then michelle said they show her a picture of the mexican flag tattoo um and she doesn't recognize it so basically she's really no help at all Um, so back at the church, um, one of the offenders starts to question Kev and Kev kind of, you know, makes up this identity. Is this, we don't know much about, we've never really seen Kev undercover that much, but we don't, so we don't know if this is his like undercover identity or not.
1: Uh, Yeah, we don't know. I mean, he, I think he just comes up with a name on the fly. Is this when Baker tries to out him as a cop?
0: No, it's not.
1: It's no, later on. No, not yet. It's okay. later on.
0: Sorry. Um, but yeah. So we don't know if this is Kev's undercover identity because the only time I can think of him being undercover is when he went to jail. But mm. I, that was not – he was definitely not Anthony then.
1: No, um, he was not. Oh, that was such a good episode.
0: It was. <laughs> not about – not what
1: we're talking about though.
0: No. Um, it was on USA
1: a couple weeks ago. Just BC dubs. Anyway, go
0: on. Anyway. So – but Kev – Point being Kev's like, identity right now is he's like, I'm a security guard named Anthony, not a cop. And so the offenders are questioning them about, oh, Joe more about this bank receipt that they found that shows Joe has 19 G's in the bank. Um, and he says that he got that from the city for killing his son, um, but they're going to have to bury him to get that. Like, he's not giving that up. Because they still, the offenders really just want the money that, Joe supposedly owes them for stealing the Coke, even though Joe didn't really steal the Coke. But that's a spoiler alert. Oops, my bad. Um, so the offenders don't care and they shoot him anyway. And they basically just tell him that, like, on Monday we're going to get, like, we're going to get the 19 G's out. And, yeah. So you got to stay put till Monday. So I'm assuming this is on a Saturday. Um, so then we go back to the 21st. It's literally just cut between the 21st and the church. 21st and the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so back at the 21st, Antonio shows the team that someone used Joe's debit card and maxed out his daily limit. And they have screenshots, of course, of the security footage. So Voight sends, Voight sends Upton and Halstead to check the surveillance and see if they can find this guy. But then we go back to the church, and Joe and Kev are all alone again. And Joe, they have this like really interesting heart-to-heart. So Joe says he's like, not the first time I've been shot. I bet you see this all the time, being police brothers getting shot. And then Joe confronts Kev about what happened the night with Ronnie. Um, Joe says that the city paid him 20 Gs and that that proves that Kevin was a murderer because they paid out and they settled. Um,
1: They settled for $20,000? Like, this kid, this guy loses his son and the city's just like, here, have $20,000? Like, that seems... Not right. Nope. That seems that's so wrong,
0: and that screams hush money too. Oh yeah. But yet they ruled Kev as a clean shot, so I don't understand.
1: I think yeah, I think it was just like we want him pr- to shut up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely hush money. It's so wrong.
0: Yeah. And then Joe's like, "I bet you don't even think about it anymore." And then LaRoyce killed this next line. I just have to like read the whole thing he said. It's like, I killed a young black male, Joe. It's like, you have no idea how much it affects me. You think I became a cop so I could kill people, especially not my own people. Ronnie's from the same place that I'm from. I think about that boy damn near every day. He's one of the last faces I see every day when I shut my eyes at night. Ugh. Oh, God. The right.
1: dialogue in this episode is so good.
0: It's like, yeah, every line is incredibly crafted. Very. It's so good. And then so um, Joe says, he's like, so what? So, since you're a cop, you get to win? And then Joe basically says, like, not in this instance. Because Joe talks about how he's the one who actually has the power over Kevin in this situation. Since he knows he's a cop. um, And, like, the offenders don't. That's what I was looking for, the word, the offenders. Um, And so then now we're back at the 21st. Where Antonio and Burgess confront Sonia, um, which is the girl that Joe supposedly left with. And it turns out her real name is Elisa, because of course it is. <laughs> and basically all she gives up is she says that Raimundo is the person who told her to get to Joe. Um, since Joe stole Raimundo's drugs. Um, and apparently Elisa, Sonia, whatever you want to call her, she drugged Joe. And took him to Raymundo, but she doesn't know where they went after that. So really, she's no help either. <laughs> Nobody's help at this. Like it's literally like, of course, the one time we need people to be helpful, they're not.
1: Literally, dude. You know who Raymundo kind of reminded me of, and I had to think about it for a while, but it finally clicked. You know who he reminded me of was Popo A little bit. Oh God. He's like a popo light, like diet popo. Like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Hopeful light, lol. <laughs> um, but anyway, so again, literally, like I said, it just goes back and forth between church and 21st. So now we're back at the church, and Raimundo is messing with Kev and Joe. And this is, like, the most insane scene of my life. Raimundo grabs a fucking drill. Like, a literal drill. Like, power tool drill. Mm-hmm. And starts to question where his coke is. Do
1: you see the resemblance
0: to Popo now? Oh, yeah. And Joe starts saying that Kev isn't really who he says he is. And Kev plays along and says, yeah, I'm the one who stole the coke." But Kev goes on to talk about how he can get him some real money and says that as long as he can just get him out of there, like I'll get you your money and we can forget about the whole thing. Because he knows that if, as long as he just gets a chance to talk to somebody in intelligence, then, like, he'll be fine. But Ramundo doesn't apparently do forgiveness and starts drilling into Kevin's leg. Uh, what the hell? So bad. I was flipping my shit last night when I was watching this. So so bad. Just I. I, I don't. Even I might have, have the been words, fueled by the alcohol, but when I was watching it this morning too, I was not fueled by alcohol. So like, it was my normal reaction.
1: Yeah. Oh my god. I just. I was just kind of like my jaw like just kind of dropped. I was like, oh my god. Why does he have a drill? Why is he using it like that? Like, I can't with the power tools. Like this week alone has just like turned me off of power tools on the one Chicago universe entirely.
0: When I think when you talk about Popo, at least. Not that a a machete sword is any better, but at least that's, like, you're supposed to kill people with a sword. So, like, it's not as, like, weird that Popo killed someone with a sword. A sword? A sword? A sword? sword, Whatever. (laughs) Um, But, like, you're not supposed to kill people with a drill. No. So that's not okay. No, it's not. So the next scene, Raimundo leaves... And Joe does something nice and, like, kicks a rag over to Kevin for his leg, which, and I'd have to go back and watch the scene, but I don't even, like, how does Kevin get it around his leg when he's chained up? Like, how That's does he a tie really it good enough? question. Like, how does he tie it tight enough when his hands are, like, tied together, essentially? That's a really good question. I'd have to go back and watch the scene again.
1: You remember when Marina posted that video on Instagram about some like flexibility challenge where they had to like pick something up off the ground with one foot or something like that? Like, no. That's gonna be what I'm gonna try now is like keeping my hands like shackled together close to the ground and be like, how would I do this? Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a really
1: good question. How did he do that?
0: I don't know. And then Joe says, like, they're gonna kill us. It's just a matter of time. And Kevin's like, not today. Mm-mm. So then the other guy, not Raimundo. Comes back in to the room and starts talking to them. And Kev offers, th- Kev's like, "I can get you a hundred thousand dollars if you just get me a phone. Like that's all I need to make this happen." So the guy kind of like pauses, and then we switch. So we're back to the twenty first again, and Antonio and Platt inform Voight that the prints on the brick of cocaine that they found actually belong to Calvin Hill, because of course they do. How convenient. I know. They already talked to him. They already know his story. Yep. Um. So Voight orders Antonio to grab him and put him in the cage. And then they kind of have the stare off for a moment. And Void's like, you got a problem with that? And I'm like, oh, hey, yeah, that's the first Antonio and Voight fight about what's right and what's wrong we've seen in weeks.
1: For real. But it's also not the time or place.
0: No. Also not our time or place. But, like, this is the first mention of, like, Antonio's shady, like, is does he actually go with Voight? Does he not? thing that like we've seen in weeks
1: i still say that antonio does not or not antonio void does not trust antonio
0: Void doesn't trust anyone except al that's true it's like which is funny because you would think like antonio has been on just like the job longer than like everyone else that's not void or al but yet if we're talking about hierarchy of trust i'd say it's like al and then probably kevin yeah i would say that Platt's in there somewhere. I don't know because like she's technically not intelligent, so I'm not counting her in this. But like, if we're calling strictly intelligence, it's Al and then Kev.
1: Yeah, and if we're talking, if we're adding non-intelligence to the mix, I would say it's Al and then it's Platt and then it's Kev. Yes,
0: but yeah. So, but if we're just staying intelligence, it's definitely Al and then Platt or and then Kev, which is interesting. Who does he trust the least? Just Antonio? <sighs> no. Uh, no I'm, st- I'm stuck between Antonio and Holstead. Yeah I don't know. who do you guys think Anto- or Voight trust the least Antonio or Jay let us know <laughs> let us know <laughs> uh, but anyway yeah I just I noticed that like and I was like oh right this that was a thing that was happening like in episode four mm-hmm. um but anyway back at the church Joe and Kev have another heart to heart. And Joe confesses that he's thought too many times about all the ways that he was going to kill Kev. Um, And he also talks about how Ronnie would have been 20 next week if it weren't for Kev killing him. And then Kev says that Joe deserves, Joe actually deserves some of the blame for Ronnie's death because he's the one who taught him about the gangs. Uh, And Joe's like, I was teaching him how to be a man. And Kev's like, and yeah, and how to die. And I was just like, yes, Kev, yes. Right. Just like, all the preaching. Yes, Kev. So, we're back at the 21st. Al has Calvin. And Voight and Al are speaking to him in the cage. And Calvin's like, what is this thing? And Voight's like, this is where we talk to people when there's special circumstances. And I was like, LOL. So, that's how we're explaining the cage now? Right. <laughs> okay. Then. So, then. They reveal that they actually know all about his calls to Raymundo, um, which is the drug dealer, that Calvin's the one who actually ripped off. Um, And Calvin's like, I want a lawyer. And Voight's like, it's too late for that. And then Voight tells a story about a guy who snuck in a gun to the cage two years ago and ended up blowing his head off. AKA, that's what Voight's going to do to him if he doesn't talk. My question is, what is it with Voight recently using stories of past offenders to explain to current ones what he's going to do to them if they don't talk? Like, this is literally two weeks in a row that Voight's done this.
1: I think he's making that
0: one up. You don't don't think if Voight Voight would have taken a gun to the guy's chin and blown his head off?
1: Not in the cage. Not with the cameras. Uh, Granted, there's no cage, like, There's no cameras in the cage now that we know of. Right. But two years ago, it was season three. And I feel like if somebody went into the cage and blew their own head off, that we would have seen that.
0: Right. No, my thing is just, like, I mean, Voight is at least trying to, for the offender, like, he's trying to, like, imply that that's what he was going to do. Whether he actually did it or not, that's a different story. But, like, Voight is still using stories of past things that happened, like, in order to, like, Get the guys to talk.
1: So not to reference Remember the Titans again like we did in our episode of Med, <laughs> or I did in our episode of Med, um, there's a moment in there where I want to say Ryan Gosling's character has to go in. Somebody basically has to sub into the game. You don't sub in football. I know that, but like you get the gist of what I'm trying to say. Um, and so the coach, Denzel Washington, he makes up this whole story. He's or not makes it up, but he's like, you know, my parents died when I was young. I had to take care of like my twelve brothers and sisters. You know, I was the oldest, but they were looking at me to lead it, blah, blah, blah. And when the guy finally goes into the game, the assistant coach, who is Bert, who was in this episode of Med, he's, like, 12. And Denzel goes, no, it was 4. 12 just sounded better. So, like, it's kind of like that. Like, I think he probably just exaggerated a story a little bit and was, like, you know,
0: cautionary tale. Yeah. I just think it's funny because, like, this is, like, the second week in a row that voice used something that happened in the past to talk to – to get someone to reveal information currently. So I just was, like, is this a trend or something? Like –
1: Right, I have no doubt in my mind. He probably murdered somebody via morphine, like he said last week.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. But anyway, so Calvin buys it regardless. Calvin buys it and ends up confessing everything. So then we're back at the church, and Ramundra talks to Kev about the money that Kev said that he could supposedly get, um, and he does hand Kev a phone and tells him to dial a number, and if someone doesn't answer, he's gonna die. Now, Kev here did a very non-millennial thing by actually remembering someone's phone number that's not his own.
1: <laughs> that's a good point. I didn't really think about that. But with that said, however, like, there's, there still has to be, like, a couple people in your life whose numbers you know off the top of your head, right?
0: Right. I mean, like, I know my parents' numbers and my grandparents' number. But that's literally it. I don't even think – I could tell you the first couple digits of my brother's number, but I don't even think I could go that far.
1: I know my parents, and I know my best friend. I don't know Charlie's. I should probably learn that. Um, but... <laughs> you don't know your boyfriend's number. No. Sorry. Sorry, babe. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Charlie. But he's not listening, so it's fine. Yeah, he stopped listening a while ago. This, you know. Love you, Charlie. <laughs> but um yeah, and so I know yeah, I know my parents and I know my best friends. And this is one of those instances where I'm not surprised that he knows the number to Rusik's
0: undercover phone. I'm not surprised either.
1: Yeah, they're they're besties. I bet the only numbers that Atwater knows off the top of his head are Voigt's Ruzic's and Burgesses.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Although now that you mentioned, it, in terms of numbers, I know myself. I knew I used to know my old work number because I was a receptionist. So when people called, I had to repeat it ten million times. So <laughs> I had that number memorized. But that's all I, I know. Got.
1: My old work number. I don't know if I know my new work number. I should learn that too.
0: You should learn that.
1: I know, but I think those are the only three numbers that Atwater knows off the top of his head. But like, and it wasn't even Ruzick's cell; it was his undercover phone. But still, right. like, doesn't surprise me.
0: Right. Right. Um, but anyway. Um, so, they're at the 21st, and Burgess is going on about how she's worried that too many hours have passed, and that, um, you know, since Kevin went missing, and Ruzik assures her that, like, he's fine, and so then Ruzik's CI phone goes off, and it's Kev, and so, he, like, puts it on speaker, and everyone's huddled around listening to it, so they end up setting the location, but Burgess is still worried that Denny won't give them the funds, so, and Boyd's like, don't worry about it. And he pulled Del aside. And he's like, go get it out of my own stash in the basement. And he tells him to put a listening device and a tracker in the bag so that, like, they can actually find Kev.
1: Dude, couple things here. So, first off, when Burgess is, like, worried about Kev, she's crying. I
0: felt so bad for her. Mm, yeah, I things. know.
1: Um, also, Ruzik does this thing where he keeps bringing her coffee, and I'm like, right there is a reason, it's him showing that he loves you. Like, get you a man who brings you coffee. For real. Dude, for real. For real. Um. Yeah, that bursting moment is great. And also, so when Burgess is like, we can't get the money out of the 1505 fund. Literally, I'm sitting there watching it with my mother. And like in that beat before Voight speaks up, mom goes, well, it's time to go to Voight's basement. basement." (laughs) And Voight turns to Alan and is like, go get it out of my stash. I was like, damn, like, wow, you're learning.
0: (laughs) Oh, so good. But so this exchange goes down at 95th and Bishop. And Ruzik hands – so Ruzik is the one who's, like, handing over the money. Um, And he hands over the money to the guy that's not Raymundo. I think his name's Billy. Or that's what he says his name is. I don't think Mm -hmm. it's actually Billy. Um, And, you know, Billy checks it and turns out okay. And so he's going to get back in his car and Ruzik's, like, tells the guy – he's, like, tell Anthony that I'll see him soon. Uh, Oh, my God. I wanted – I was trying not to cry. Talk about the
1: most, like, innocuous line that absolutely breaks my heart.
0: I know. It's so good.
1: Tell Anthony I'll see him soon. It's so good. They're just BFFs.
0: I know. I love them so much.
1: I know. I love them, too.
0: And so then this episode quickly goes back to the church where you see Joe and Kev trying to break the chains And Joe wants to know if Ronnie said anything before Kev shot him as he's been thinking about this for too long. And Kev says, you know, it won't bring Ronnie back and tells him to just focus on the now.
1: Is it cold-hearted of me if, like, because Joe keeps talking about Ronnie and I'm like, Joe, time and place. Like, I get that you're being held hostage with the officer who killed your son, but, like, Aren't there other things to focus on? I mean,
0: yes. But I also think he probably never thought that he was going to have to see Kev again. And so the fact that he's here and, like, they both have to use each other in order to stay safe. Like, it's just all he can think about.
1: That's true. And if if he was convinced that they were going to die, then I get it. Yeah. That's true.
0: So... Then the next scene, Raimundo is talking to his partner, Billy, whatever the fuck his name is, um, on the phone and tells him to take the cash somewhere else that's not this church. But little do they know, intelligence listening to the whole thing so they actually know what's happening. Um, Voight tells them to move in, but they have to move in cautiously because this Billy guy is the only link they have to Kev. Um, So they surround the partner and... He's, like shouting, he's still on the phone with Ramundo this whole time. And he's like, this is a setup. Like, you know, just beware. This is a setup. So everyone surrounds him. He gets out of the car with his gun drawn. Ruzik puts his gun down and asks him to talk to them. And to like, put your gun down. It'll be okay. Instead, this Billy guy raises his gun at Antonio, who instinctively shoots back. Oof. It's important to note, though, that literally the minute it's done, Antonio is so upset with himself because he knows that he not he didn't necessarily screw up but he kind of did because he kind of realizes that billy's probably dead right now and that like that was the only link they had to kev but like it was all he could do but it's important to note that antonio is upset with himself like the minute it happens
1: this whole scene was just it's brutal yeah. it's
0: brutal um so ruth it goes over to billy's body and he starts shouting and he's like i want to know where my partner is but Floyd's like it's too late like he's gone he's dead so then Ruzik attacks Antonio, saying that Billy knew where Kevin was. Um, but Burgess gets in the middle and pulls Ruzik off of him. And Ruzik's just screaming the whole time. He's like, you just killed Kevin. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That it's heartbreaking. Yeah, he said that just, oh, my God. Patty's acting in that moment. I was just like, wow. It's like, give him the Emmy. She's like, wow. He's so
1: good. This, oh my God. It's just, and then like, yeah, because he's like, you just killed Kevin. And Antonio's like, I'm sorry, what? Like, what the fuck did you just say? And then then, like, like, go ahead. ahead.
0: No, I was just gonna say, yeah. And then Antonio's screaming back at him. He's like, what if I miss? And then he shoots Burgess. Then what?
1: But then, like, when Burgess pulls Ruzik off of him, like, Ruzik's crying, too.
0: I know. That whole hug where she, like, pulls him off of him and they're, like, hugging. And she's like, oh, my God.
1: Right. Oh, my God. And, like, just Ruzik's just so distraught. And he's crying. And Burgess is trying to console him. And, oh, My heart ripped in, like, a million pieces.
0: Yeah, well, and it's funny, too, because, and I'm just now thinking about this, I don't know why I didn't think about this earlier, when Antonio Zelling, like, what if I missed and then he shoots Burgess, then what? So my first reaction was, well, what would Ruzik say in response to that? But we've already seen Ruzik's response to if what would have happened if Burgess got shot.
1: He almost punched Roman, and it was the only moment <laughs> I've ever been mad at Linstead, because I wanted it to happen so badly.
0: The only moment you've ever been bad at, mad at Linstead?
1: Yeah, because Ruzik was totally going to deck Roman, and Linstead pulled them off Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, wait, what? Okay. I was like, no, this needs to happen. This is Roman's fault. Right. Like.
0: Yeah. But anyway, so I just thought about that. I was like, right, we have seen Ruzik react to if Burgess was shot.
1: I just like how Ruzik, like, pushes Antonio's buttons, but then Antonio almost claps back, and he's like, oh, no, no, I'll push your buttons right back. What if I miss and then he shot Burgess?
0: Right. Yeah. Um. But then, so, Voight gives this, like, kind of, I guess it's supposed to be, like, a pump-up speech um, thing. And he's like, okay, he's like, we all have to get back on the same page. And, you know, yes, we lost Billy. Like, Billy's dead. But, like, we've got to go with what we got. We do have things, and we've got to go with what we got.
1: Dude, I'm really surprised at the way Voight reacted here. Because, like, we've talked about this before, how he's different with each member of intelligence, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And I keep bringing this back, and I hate that I always bring it back to Jay, but, like, (sighs) if Jay were the one who had freaked out on Antonio, if Jay were the one who were crying over his partner and all this stuff, Voight would have been like, pull your head out of your ass, suck it up, and let's go. Yeah. And so I really was not expecting him to, you know, kind of let the team feel their emotions in this moment.
0: Right. And especially because there's a couple things. So, one... Ruzik is currently on Voice shit list, so I'm surprised he let Ruzik act, of all people, act like this. Right. But second of all, this isn't the first time that we've seen something happen to a member of the team. Right. So, like, if, if this was the first time it had happened, I'd say, okay, that makes sense. Like, you've got to let everyone feel, like, their emotions. But something happens to a member of this team, like, literally every fourth episode. So, like... <laughs> I don't know. Like, I just don't understand. I mean, I guess it's Kevin and everyone loves Kevin, but like, yeah, it's kind of like what is different about this one where like you're gonna let everyone feel their emotions, but like the 10 million other times something's happened to a member of intelligence, you don't let it happen.
1: You know, and he would have been the same. Maybe it's because he loves Atwater. Like, maybe that's why, because he's feeling emotions too. But if it were Antonio too, if Antonio were the emotional one, Voight uh, would just be like, "I understand, but like, stop."
0: Yeah, I don't know. Uh,
1: maybe yeah, maybe it's because you know Voight loves Atwater too. You, like Voight and Atwater, they're just you can tell like
0: Voight loves him. Yeah, I don't know. It's so weird. The whole thing. I was yeah, and I like I thought it was weird when I watched it, but then you like really pointed it out to me earlier, and I was like, oh shit.
1: Yeah, it just—it surprised me, especially because Adam's on his shit list.
0: Yeah, for real. I would think
1: he would break that up and be, like, yelling at Adam and be like, stop it, you're not helping anything.
0: Yeah. Um, but anyway, so we're back at the church, and Raimundo comes back into the main space, only to find both Kev and Joe gone. <laughs> and we got an email from Allison same Allison we were talking about earlier. And this, is, this what, is amazing. This was the best thing ever. And she was like theory. Mr. Sprinkles came and chewed them free. <laughs> and we died. We died just reading the email straight first. But then she took it one step further. <laughs> and she photoshopped what is Mr. Sprinkles? A hamster? Guinea pig. Guinea pig. Oh my god, I'm always gonna call it a hamster and it's actually a guinea pig. But she photoshopped a guinea pig like buy the chains onto the picture of Kevin and joe and it's the best thing ever we'll have to we'll ask her if she we can tweet it out but if we can like we'll tweet it out because it's pretty great
1: i think we need to like spawn a series from this and like any sort of iconic moment in one chicago history we need to photoshop a guinea pig in yes Always. There was that promo picture that dropped today, today being Thursday. There was that promo pic that dropped for the next episode, or not the next episode, but like one of the future episodes of Fire and like Casey and Severide are like jumping out of the way of a Yes, fire. We just got to Photoshop a guinea pig in there.
0: Yes. Well, we don't know how to Photoshop, so Allison's got to do it for us.
1: We're volunteering you, Allison, if you're like
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to, we would totally love for you to do that. Um, But anyway, so Yeah. Kev and Joe are gone, but since they're both really injured, they can only get so far. But so Raimundo does find them eventually and Joe's cornered and he's about to be dead when Kev, who by the way, got his leg drilled like twenty minutes ago. Don't forget about that. Kev jumps on top of Raimundo. The two of them fight and it ultimately ends with Kev shooting Raimundo twice.
1: Oh, that scene. When, like, you know they're in, like, total close contact and you just see the bullet holes out of what's-his-face's his back. Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, my God.
0: It was a great fight scene. But then, so Kev gets to his feet and he tells Joe, he's like, you know, we're all good, we're all good. But then Joe turns on him and puts the gun to Kev's head and asks him if this is – he's like, is this the gun you used to kill my son? Oh, my God. Right. And so Kev tells this whole story about – um Ronnie, the night Ronnie died and includes, you know, in the end about how Ronnie said he would never get to his on his knees for any man. And so then Adam arrives and you can tell that Kev saying like what Ronnie said um, clearly affected Joe. And so Joe, Kev's able, because Joe's so affected emotionally, Kev's able to talk Joe out of doing something stupid, um, a.k.a. killing him.
1: I love how it's only Adam who arrives like it's all that it needed to be. It was just Adam like they're on yeah. such a wavelength. And I think we saw that in I, I don't think we really saw that until this scene almost because like Adam ran in and Kev was just like stand down. We're good. And that's like all he needed to say. And music was like, all right.
0: Yeah. Um, but then so the next scene is Kev talking to Voight and Kev. Literally walks out of this church thing.
1: Did he what? not receive medical attention for the hole that got drilled into his leg?
0: I I don't know. Because in the next scene, which is the last scene, which we'll talk about in a second. But, like, you don't see anything. Like, you never see him. He's not in a cast. He's not in, I don't know. You would think this would require surgery, but I guess not.
1: Well, like... It's a drill. You would think he would at least need, like, stitches and antibiotics.
0: Well, he probably needs something to, like, clean it out, which would probably be surgery. And if that's assuming it doesn't touch any bone.
1: That, too. I know. See, and since I watch, you know, a lot of TV, not solely medical shows, but, like, when he drilled his like, initially, I was like, not the femoral artery, not the femoral
0: artery. <laughs> yeah. No. But, um, but. Allison, in her email, she said, you know, she's like, Kevin got drilled in the leg. Literally, they took a drill to his leg. She was like, how did did it go? How was he walking around on it as much as he did? He ran away once. They unchained themselves and tackled the guy down. Then was walking around once reunited with his team. Is Kevin actually a Marvel character? (laughs) Who knows? Maybe. Um, But Kev tells Joe... or." Kev tells Joe Kev tells Voight that they need to give Joe a break and then Voight's like turns out the whole thing was a mistake and Joe never actually stole the drugs in the first place and then we have two of the probably best scenes in maybe all of one Chicago history Burgess comes behind Kev and gives him this hug from behind and Kev's like I know exactly who that is and Burgess is like it's me oh, so good and then Kev's like give me a moment and he walks over to Platt and he's like I gotta apologize for missing your birthday Sarge and then she gives him what's probably the best hug in all of one Chicago history. So sweet. It's so That's good. the first
1: time we've ever seen Platwater like that, have we? We've never gotten like a Platwater scene, have we?
0: No. Never
1: Platwater. Yeah, is pretty great, right? That's like the easiest name in the world.
0: It's great. Um, and then we get to see Ruzik apologizing to Antonio for being out of line.
1: This was sweet, too. Ruzik was just, and, like, this is why I didn't worry when it happened. Because I was, like, they're they're family. They're going to understand. Like, whatever. And Ruzik was just, like, I was so worried about Atwater. And Antonio was, like, yeah, we all were. And then they hugged it out. So it's just, like, a big, giant Oprah hug moment. Like, why doesn't every PD episode end in, like, all hugs, like, everywhere? This was, like, the best.
0: Yeah. I don't know. So So many hugs. Just hugs everywhere. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, But anyway, so the last scene of the episode is Kev goes and sees Joe in the hospital. And Kev tells him, he's like, you know, I thought you stole the dope. And he's like, I'm not proud for assuming that. And then Kev asks Joe, he's like, why didn't you kill him? Or like, why didn't you kill me? And Joe says, you know, it's because of what were apparently Ronnie's last words. And Joe admits, he's like, that was something I taught my son. He's like, it's on me. And so we just see the episode just ends with... Joe breaking down in this hospital bed and Kev just watching. And it's chilling and heartbreaking. And I definitely shed a tear. It was really powerful.
1: That was a PD episode for the ages.
0: For real. And so, yeah, that's the end of the episode. But we still have some, like... Gino. just before we get into some of the kind of, like, general points I want to bring up, what were your thoughts?
1: Oh, God, I mean... There was... So much going on that I really didn't have a running commentary because I was just kind of a sponge and had to take it all in. Um, yeah. You know what? You know what does get me, though? Okay, like, you know, the the Atwater moments, the Ruzik moments, whatever. How did it take us five seasons to showcase Ruzik and Atwater like this? Both of them are so talented and the characters are so well-developed. Yeah. It just kind of makes me want to like pull my hair and be like how did it take us five seasons to get this finally
0: right and it's kind of going on for of that so one of the things i wanted to bring up is just the rusewater friendship like this season it's so good like it's definitely moved up my list to the top of the bro tps in like all of what chicago like it's that good mm-hmm. you know especially in this episode you can see like these two are like they're truly brothers who care about one each other like they're more than partners um yeah, and you just see it so many times in this episode and it was just like, ugh, like, it's just so good.
1: It is so good. And, like you know, a thought that I had in the middle of the episode, I was like, who are, like, not the better BFFs, but, like. Oh, God. Who is more, like, BFF-y between the two of them? Like, Burgwater or Rusewater? Like, you know Burgess and Ruzik probably fight over, like, who's his best friend, like, on How I Met Your Mother? I don't know. <laughs> Not that you can compare them, but, like, Ruzik and Atwater, you can tell, are just so in sync with each other.
0: Yeah. It's weird to think – I mean, like, obviously, Al and Ruzik is such a classic partnership, and same with Burgess and Atwater. Like, that's such a classic partnership. But, like, it's weird because Ruzik's been so good this season, it's weird to think of a time where they weren't partners. Right. But, like, yet both of their former partners were such classic partnerships.
1: Yeah, also true.
0: So, like, it's weird. But, anyway, one of the – and the next thing I wanted to bring up was just – okay. And this was something we got a couple emails and, like, DMs about, so I wasn't the only one thinking it. But as much as I love this episode, it kind of annoys me that they're – like I said, this there was just an A storyline. Like, Kevin got kidnapped, we got to get him back. Like, that was literally the only storyline. Um, so it kind of annoys me that there was no mention of anything of any of the previous storylines from last week or the week before. Um, and this episode kind of, just for the most part, exists in a bubble. Um and so we had an email from Rachel Lynn, and she said, you know, Boyd didn't have a lot of time to focus on his two problem children this week, Rusick and Halstead, so at least they got to do some work. And I was like, that's a good point. You know, last week, Jay was working desk duty until further notice, and now all of a sudden he's back working.
1: I'm thinking it was just that Atwater being kidnapped was more important.
0: Right, and so then – we. In, our, in Perry's DM, she said the same thing. She's like, is Jay off the desk duty? Or was it because Atwater was kidnapped so Boyd didn't really care if he was in action?
1: That's true. You know what, though? And I think about it, too, because, like, we talked about this right before we started recording about how it was just an A storyline. But, I mean, the other alternative is a B storyline, like that episode of Med last week where Will was in the hospital and nobody else thought to be like, is Will okay?
0: Right. Right, so like I that's just,
1: the alternative is a B storyline where they don't even give a shit about Atwater, in which is right. are
0: like, uh, hello. I think it was just more like the one place you could have brought it up was the J stuff, like without taking too much away, without it being like an entire B storyline. Like Voight could have made a comment about how like J has to stay in the twenty first because he's still stuck on death duty, and like he's the one that's like gonna be like the call point guy. I don't know what to call him, but you know what I'm talking about. Right. Like doing all the research, like making all the calls, whatever.
1: How about how Berzik hooked up at the end of last week's episode? Yeah, I that too. To mention of that. For the second time, Berzik has done something together that has never been talked about again.
0: And I don't think it's going to never be talked about again, like a la last season. <laughs> um, but yeah. So that's kind of my only problem is like, I love this episode and I think it's great. But it kind of is probably forever going to exist in a bubble.
1: I mean, I feel like all of the episodes where somebody gets taken hostage is held in a bubble. Like the warehouse episode in season two with Burgess and Roman, that's in a bubble.
0: Right. Well, Jay's kidnapping isn't. kind
1: of in a bubble.
0: But it's not because it brings Lindsay back to the unit. It's a bubble with a little hole in it. I think it's more not a bubble, but like, I can see how like that half of the episode is a bubble. Like the JV kidnap part is a bubble, but it's not yeah. an entire bubble.
1: I mean, I'm, this is an episode that like needed to be done though. So I'm, I'm not complaining at all. And Eric LaSalle directed it.
0: Oh my God. It was McKay um, Pfeiffer is, I mean, I just, I love McKay Pfeiffer and he was incredible. He played Joe. Um, mm-hmm. He's incredible. Yeah.
1: He's been in so many things.
0: Yeah. He was in ER. um, Because they were talking about, like, the ER reunion um, between, like, Eric and Makai. So good. But, yeah. And then my last point is just, we had to look it up. Um, I wanted to know who wrote this episode. Gavin Harris wrote this episode. Just props to him for writing such an incredible episode with so many incredibly crafted, heartbreaking lines. Just... It's incredible. It was really great.
1: It really was great. And just, I mean, the dialogue was incredible.
0: Yeah. And it did not, I mean, somebody had made, I don't remember who made this comment. It was definitely in an email about how, like, even though it's kind of nice to take a break from, like, a traditional procedural. Um, and that's, like, this, even though there was things, like, obviously, something went wrong. Intelligence fixed it. The end. Like, so in that case, it was a procedural. But obviously, it wasn't, like, Typical little Chicago PD procedural, um, which is kind of nice. Yeah. A nice break.
1: Yeah, no, it is nice to break from the norm. You know, it was, yeah. it was an excellent episode. Excellent. <laughs> We're trying to see if we can find Gavin to have him on the podcast. If anybody knows a way to make that happen, please let if us know. If anyone
0: cause... can find a way to get any Chicago PD writers on our podcast, hit us up.
1: Yeah, please hit us up. We don't want spoilers. We don't want spoilers. We just want to talk about, like, the writing process.
0: Yeah. Like we did with Jeff Dreyer of Med. Who's now our story. friend.
1: We don't want spoilers. We just want to, like, chat.
0: Yeah. But if they also happen to give spoilers, we will not complain.
1: No, we won't. But, like, you know. That's not the purpose. Not the purpose.
0: No, we want to talk about, like, we want to break down this episode. We want to break down some of the other iconic episodes. Um, but, Yeah. If anyone knows any ways to get in touch with PD writers, hit us up because they're not on Twitter.
1: We come in peace. We promise.
0: Yeah, we really do. But yeah, so that's the end of this week's episode. Um, as always, you can find us on all forms of social media: Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. We're just meet us at Molly's. Email us. Email us. Email us. Email us. Email us. We're a lot of fun. We try to respond. We're trying to be better about that in twenty eighteen. Um, like actually physically responding rather than just t- responding via podcast <laughs> um, so email us for are at, at gmail.com if you want to follow us individually on Twitter and talk to us there um, you can I'm at Bryna K 13 Gina I am at Gina watches TV and Ashley is at Ash Nick 095 Nick NIC um, but yeah so we'll be back on monday with our episode breaking down this week's episode of chicago fire um but yeah so until then have a lovely january weekend and yeah we'll talk to you then bye everybody bye